Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to another episode of your Storybox podcast, where I, your esteemed host, Jay Phantom, has the utmost privilege and honor to unbox amazing stories from incredible people twice a week. I'm delighted and grateful that you're here today. Now let's dive into the story box and hear more about our guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number 37 with entrepreneur and best-selling author, Jack DeLosa. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Storybox podcast. I'm Jay Phantom, as you guys heard in the beginning. Guys, this week on the show, I have a very special guest for you. His name is Jack DeLosa. Now, Jack has been featured in Forbes magazine, The Australian, Business Insider, TEDx, Nine News, BRW, GQ, Sky News Business, Financial Review, Clio or CO magazine, I should say, Seven, and Entrepreneur magazine as well. Now, if you don't know who Jack is, Jack is the founder of The Entourage, Australia's largest educational institution for our entrepreneurs. The Entourage has a community of over 355,000 members under Jack's leadership. And The Entourage was actually awarded the fourth best place to work in Australia by BRW Magazine. Jack is also a high-profile investor in large growth companies such as Qbiotics and eMerchants. And more than that, Jack is a best-selling author. So his first book, Unprofessional, was highly acclaimed, reaching bestseller status within three weeks of launching. His latest book, Unwritten, reached bestseller status in just one week. So he's blowing that out way out of proportion. He's also got an educational podcast as well called Ask uh, Jack D and the Jack DeLosa podcast, which he has basically num- hit number one on the business charts within 24 hours of launching the, the program. He's interviewed high-profile guests from Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple, G- Gary Vay- Vaynerchuk, Gary V, I should say, founder of VaynerMedia, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of you would know who Gary V is, and Gerard Adams, the co-founder of Elite Daily. Now, what do we get talking about in this episode? So I reached out to Jack and, and uh, it took a couple of weeks for actually to get us linked up and for us to have a conversation, which I really appreciate Jack for his time. But we are talking about, to start off with, his definition of success, what that actually means to him. And then we get talking about how his business got started, so all the failures he had uh, before he actually launched the entourage and what he learned from those failures. That's a very important uh, thing to note when you listen to this, what he actually learned in those failures. Then we move on to a question that I asked, I've only asked I think about four other people, which is what was your first lesson or what was the lesson that you learned when you earned your first 
million dollars. Now his his uh, answer to this question is quite fascinating. So I hope you guys really enjoy that and get a lot out of it as well. But there's so much more golden nuggets in this episode that Jack shares regarding business and advice for young entrepreneurs as well. If you are wanting to get into the business world, what that takes and what you need as well. And that's pretty much it from me. So without me continuing on, you know what time it is. It is time to dive into the story box and hear Jack Delosa's story. Thanks, Naomi. Darren, really good to be here, mate. I uh, love the work that you're doing with the Storybox podcast. So it's a, it's a privilege to be on. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. And before we get started into your backstory and why you do what you do in the first place, because there's a lot to tackle there um, and very short time. But I have one question that I love asking people, and that is, what is your definition of success? My definition of success is when your outer world reflects your inner world, right? So we live in a world that tends to make the external supreme. And so everybody wants the dream house, the car, the partner that looks good on Instagram, uh, which are all great endeavours. But the world is full of people that are in their dream house feeling disconnected, uh, driving their dream car feeling inferior. Mm. Uh, they've got a, a relationship that looks perfect on Instagram, yet they're feeling undernourished in their relationship. Mm. Uh, they're constantly surrounded by great friends and family, yet feeling alive. And so most people live their life as if their inner world doesn't exist. Mm. And when I talk about your inner world, what I mean is, your state of being at any given moment. Because what's going on in your inner world, what's going on in your state of being at any given moment is your experience of life. So you can have the house, the car, the relationship on Instagram. You can have beautiful friends and an amazing family. But if your inner world isn't grounded, if you don't feel nourished, if you don't feel whole, if you don't feel compassionate, if you don't feel joyful, well, then everything that's going on in your external world is going to be both empty and unsustainable. Mm. And so when I say success to me is when your outer world reflects your inner world, what I mean by that is starting to live from the inside out, bringing consciousness and awareness to what is your state of being at any given moment mm. and consciously working and living in a state of wholeness, a state of joy, a state of awareness, a state of compassion, a state of nourishment, and to live your life from that space and from that place create your life. Mm. Right. And if you do that for long enough, then what will happen is your external life will start to reflect your inner life. Your external world will start to reflect your inner world. There will be no disconnection between the two. Yep. And what starts to happen is your life begins to echo your deepest truths. What's going on inside of you is just representative of what's going out on outside of you. What's going on outside of you is just representative of who you are on the inside. And when you can have the perfect marriage of the two, starting from the inside and living your life from the inside and out, that is true and authentic 
success. Mm, I like that. That's a great definition of it. Probably one of the best ones I've heard so far. And where did you think this idea of success came from for you? Was it a gradual thing over time that you sort of realized it or was there a catalyst moment for you somewhere? In terms of uh, adopting that view of success? Yes. It was probably once I started to become successful in inverted commas. Um by societal measures. Um, but in many ways, I was completely fulfilled by the work that I was doing, mm. but felt completely unfulfilled by the materialistic success that came as a result of it. Mm. And that was, a, that was an eye-opening period for me because I was, I was living in a mansion feeling disconnected. I, I mean, today I live in a beautiful house as well. I just don't feel disconnected anymore. I was driving my dream car feeling, I mean, that was me. You know, the person I just described was me in 2014, right? And so I think I think I started to gain a more holistic picture of what success truly is, what authentic success truly is, uh, when I started to gain a lot of the materialistic rewards uh, that most people would label. Why do you think that was for you in particular? That you started to feel that Why way? I think, um, yeah. I think, I think anybody feels that way. I, I, what most people think is success is, is the money and the car and the house. And, and, and it's just not. It's, 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 it's an illusion. It's, it's a mirage that we pursue. And Often the scariest thing is you arrive at the mirage thinking that it was going to be the thing that finally fulfills you and finally makes you feel amazing. And it does for five minutes. But then 10 minutes later, you're like, man, that, that, that whole, that incompleteness, that inner sense of incompleteness that I've always felt, mm. I still feel. But it's now worse because when I used to feel it, I thought that this mirage of success, when I achieved this mirage of success, that's going to fill the hole, rock and roll. Well, I've just, I've just achieved that mirage of success and the hole's still here, which is more scary than before because now I don't know how to fill it, mm. right? And it's purely because we, we have a, most people have a purely external frame of reference for what success is. Mm. Uh, and it's a very brittle, uh, form of success. It's a very, and it brings a lot of fragility to your consciousness. If you can find deep, authentic presence within yourself and live from that place, well, not only will you create the materialistic success, if that's what, that's one of the things you're choosing to create, um, but you'll do it from a much more meaningful place where the mirage won't be empty and unsustainable, It'll be authentic and meaningful and therefore completely sustainable. Mm, that's good. So I'm curious to know, Jack, for you, did you always want to be in business? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur or was there other things that you sort of aspired to be growing up? Yeah, for me, my, my parents ran a not-for-profit organization when I was a kid, right? It was called Breaking the Cycle. Mm. And so they would take long-term unemployed youth off the street and they, and they put them through a really meaningful training development programs for a period of three months. And they could only take 
finite number of young adults each year. And so they deliberately choose those from the most challenging of background, people that were in and out of jail, people that were from abusive homes, people that were drug addicted. And what would happen is uh, these people would come through these programs of breaking cycle mm. and it would fundamentally transform uh, who they are and they would grow into more of themselves. They'd create a vision for their life and they'd stop engaging in destructive behaviour and uh, then breaking the cycle would um, facilitate them into employment. And breaking the cycle was the most successful job placement agency for long-term unemployed youth in the country. They were very, very, very good at what they did. Mm. And so that taught me two things. It taught me that the world needs changing, right? Um, there are a lot of people that fall through the cracks and there are a lot of people that the traditional old school system just does not work for, right? Uh, and there's a lot of people in the world that have a right to be pissed off. Not to say that being pissed off serves them, but there's a lot of people that, that haven't had the most fortunate of upbringings like many of us have. Uh, and 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 often the traditional path doesn't work for them. So it taught me that the world needs change. It also taught me that the world is changeable yep. in that these are people that would come into these programs literally half dead, and within two or three months, they would be completely renewed and completely transformed in terms of who they were and, and, and the uh, hope and the promise that the future held for them. And so it taught me that you can take even the people from the most challenging of backgrounds, if you put them in an environment where firstly they want to transform, but you put them into an environment where they have the right support, the right coaching, the right training, the right TLC, genuine care around them, then anybody is capable of significant transformation. Mm. And so breaking the cycle was really my first core, like, developmental experience that I remember having. So this is like when I was six, seven, eight years old. Mm. Breaking the Cycle was a not-for-profit organisation. And so uh, the government was re-elected, changed the way capital was issued out to not-for-profits. Breaking the Cycle was unsuccessful in, uh, uh, you know, seeking funding under the new arrangement. And so the organisation collapsed. I was probably like nine or ten years of age at that point. And I remember feeling a really strong sense of injustice. I remember feeling who decided that money was better allocated elsewhere because as far as I was concerned then and as far as I'm concerned now, the most meaningful work anybody can do is to help others live a more whole and meaningful life, particularly young people, particularly young adults. And so that pissed me off, and, and it's a frustration that I still carry to this day. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, breaking the cycle in and of itself gave me a, not necessarily a philanthropic drive, but let's say a socially conscious internal nature that I still have today. Business for me isn't about acquiring things, it's about making it. Mm. What the collapse of breaking the cycle did is it gave me my commercial drive. Yes because I wanted to build meaningful businesses that changed the world, but I never wanted to be dependent on handouts or funding or the government. And so uh, the collapse of breaking the cycle gave me a huge hunger to study business and entrepreneurship. And so had you spoken to me when I was 13 or 14, I would have told you that I wanted to be a politician because I thought politicians were the, were the people that, influence and change the world. Mm. And then I realized that they don't. And to, to a large degree, politicians are highly ineffectual when it comes to shaping the world around us. Mm. But it's entrepreneurs and innovators and their teams that create change. 
Politicians don't create change, they regulate change. Corporations don't innovate, they buy innovation and often they squash innovation. Mm. The, the, the real individuals and the real teams and humans are the people that are a part of an innovative entrepreneur organization, be that a for-profit company or a social movement or a not-for-profit company, whatever. They come in so many different shapes and sizes and forms. Uh, but, but, but those were the individuals that I identified probably around the age of 15 or 16 that really influenced the world and drove humanity forward. And so from that moment on, uh, because I felt a deep sense of I'm here to really help change things, uh, at the age of 16, I identified that entrepreneurship was the most suitable uh, channel to do that. Wow. And then what age were you when you actually started this uh, educational platform, the, the Entourage? I started the Entourage at the ripe age of 23. Wow. Um, so I started my first business at the age of 17. I had a couple of unsuccessful companies, a couple of uh, quite successful companies, namely MBE Education, uh, where, you know, we did a million dollars in our first year. MBE was a company we would help SMEs raise money from investors. We helped our clients raise over $300 million. We're one of Australia's fastest growing companies. Uh, and then I took the experience of uh, driving and building that company and applied it to helping the next generation of uh, SMEs scale up and build substantial businesses. Uh, and so I, I started uh, the entourage at the age of 23. Wow. So I'm 23 at the moment. Now, you, you said that you started a couple of businesses from a very young age, 17 and up, and some failed. What did that failure actually make you feel in that moment? And how did you overcome it? Because I know failure can sort of deflate an entrepreneur sometimes. But how do you build yourself up again and keep moving forward? After my first business failed, I adopted the view that I'd stuffed up, you know, all of my friends had either gone traveling around Europe for six or nine months at the time of their life, or they'd gone to university and are on the way to becoming a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant, whereas I dropped out, I dropped out of university after three months to pursue a business. And so when it failed, my immediate belief and thought was I've stuffed up here I hope my future is reclaimable. Like it's almost laughable for me to think about today, but this, this is an honest sort of perspective of where my head was at at the time. And then I, I, I am somebody that has always studied personal development and always studied, uh, you know, consciousness and, and human potential. And a core fundamental principle that I believe any empowered human being understands is that it's not what happens to us in life that matters, but what we choose to make it mean. What does this mean? And so what I determined at the age of 19 after walking away from my first business was that it didn't mean that my future was compromised and everybody was ahead of me and I was like, it meant that I had the exact experience I needed as an entrepreneur mm -hmm. to go on and build another business and that it was an inevitable and necessary stepping stone to build meaningful and lasting success and contribution. And so it was that mindset shift uh, that enabled me to, to not only not feel like a failure, but to ensure that I was able to continue building businesses and to continue along. You know, I view this period today, and this was my apprenticeship period, and my apprenticeship period went for five years, but I needed to continually ensure that my mindset was so incredibly fucking bulletproof. Mm. In the first five years, 
not only are you not making much progress, unless you're like super fortunate and super lucky and just hit it the first time, which is 99.99% of people don't. Mm. Not only are you not making progress, but you're so inexperienced that you thought you were going to succeed so quickly because we often come into this game with naive, ex- naive expectations. You know, I'm going to make this much money in the first six months or this much money in the first couple mm. months. So your expectations are so incredibly high, unreasonably so. Your results are so incredibly non-existent, which they should be at that stage of the game because you're still fucking learning. Yeah. And so if you don't have a sound mindset, you're just going to talk yourself out of it. Mm. And you, you're never going to get another at bat because you're going to get in your own head and you're going to fuck with yourself. Mm. And so mindset and psychology play such an important part in an entrepreneur's development or anybody that's trying to master any craft development. And the reason why mindset is so incredibly important is because there's a gap. There's a gap between where you want to be and where you are. There's a gap between how good you want to be and how good you currently are. Mm. There's a gap between how you envisage your best self to look and who you are today. Mm. There's a gap between how big you want your business to be, how good you want to be in your particular craft, whether that's being an influencer or playing the guitar or being an accountant, whatever it is for you. There's a gap between how good you think you should be at that and how good you are today. And so if you've got an ineffective psychology, that gap only serves to discourage you because you just fucking beat yourself up every day. Mm. Whereas if you can harness your psychology and bring awareness to your own thought pattern and choose to use that gap not to discourage you, but to use it as tension that literally pulls you towards those visions that you have for yourself, your life, your relationships, your business, your finances, it literally pulls you towards it rather than encouraging you. Well, then you can turn failure on its head and actually use it as an accelerator, actually use it as fuel, Mm. provided we attach the right meaning to it and provided we ensure that our mindset is as bulletproof as it possibly can be. Mm. That's a good answer. Now, for you, when you did start the entourage at 23, what were some of the initial challenges that you faced starting it to begin with? And were you actually afraid that this business wasn't going to reach where you thought that it was going to go? Massively, yeah. So I think in the early years of any business, uh, the founder flirts with the idea of quitting a lot, right? Because, again, business takes three times as long as you think it's going to. It costs three times as much, if you're lucky, than you think it's going to. Um, And particularly in the case of the entourage, you know, because I stepped away from uh, building and managing MBA. I mean, I was still a shareholder, um, you know, still ambassador, but I, but I stepped away from the management of MBA to drive on trust. MBA was an incredibly lucrative business. I mean, if you can uh, help SMEs raise money from investors, help them make strategic acquisitions, help them build value to a point of exit, uh, and you can help facilitate those transactions, it's an incredibly lucrative skill set to have, particularly the age that I was at when I was kind of running in those circles. Mm. Um, and so to step away from that into the entourage, it made zero sense on paper. The entourage, I didn't know what the business model was going to be. Mm. Uh, it was originally meant for young entrepreneurs under 35. We no longer have any age specifications for young members, uh, you know, that are sort of 
early 70s that are just some of the most amazing human beings and amazing entrepreneurs. But when we started, we were under 35. And so on paper, it looked like a really bad business model. So wait, you're telling me that you want to go and train entrepreneurs that are naturally very independently minded. Uh, you want to train young entrepreneurs who don't have any money. These guys, are, these guys and girls are renegades in that they don't want to come together uh, mm. and you don't know the business model, but you're going to throw away what you've got at MBE from a management perspective and go and pursue this opportunity. And the answer is yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Mm. And so it was a journey of following my heart rather than my head. And you know, a lot of the time people ask me, what's the best way to think of business ideas and all of that sort of stuff. And if you asked a venture capitalist that or a private equity person that or, you know, somebody that like is somebody that teaches an MBA that question, they talk to you about, you know, market analysis and business plans and projections and thinking that they're giving you a deeply commercial answer. I think it's an incredibly unintelligent answer. I think the best place to, um, the best genesis mm. for a business to be born is out of your heart. And that might sound uncommercial. It's not because it's, it gives acknowledgement to the fact that business is going to be so fucking hard. Mm. It's going to take so long. There's going to be so many challenging days. And if you're purely in it because it made sense on paper, you're going to quit. Yep. Your heart better be in it if you're going to sustain. Your heart better be in it if you're going to have longevity. Mm. And so for me, it was a brave and courageous path to take because it was, you know what, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to figure out the business model along the way, mm. which, again, if you spoke to any VC or private equity firm, they tell you is a terrible business plan. Uh, for me, it's the best kind of business plan. I encourage any human being to take that approach to business planning. Mm. You know, it started in 2010. By 2015, we were trading at a valuation of $60 million. I had 90 staff. Um, mm. We were one of Australia's fastest growing companies. We were listed as a fourth best place to work in Australia. And so we figured out the business model. Mm. Uh, but the business model, the best businesses come when you can find the intersection between what you love and what you think you were born to do and what the world needs. You can't be all passion and all I'm just doing what I love because you need you need to find a way to integrate that into the real world. Mm. And it can't be all what does the world need because you need to have passion in the same. And so where those two circles overlap is where your genius starts. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. I have I've only asked this question to a few other people, but I'm curious to know your your answer to it because it might be a very tricky question to answer and and that is what was a lesson that you learned when you earned your first million dollars yeah it's a very 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 good question the first million dollars for me was as easy as breathing mm. it was i i actually look back on it with a degree of envy today mm. um, because of how easy it was. After that, my vision became clouded, right? And a lot of philosophy talks about this in that you can be so pure of heart and so pure of mission, uh, but when you, when you first come into contact 
with the trappings of success, you will almost inevitably be taken off course. It's like the sirens in the ocean that sing and you, and you can't help but kind of gravitate towards them. The trappings of success often uh, have the same effect for, a, for, for either a short or a long period of time. Luckily for me, in my case, it was a short period of time. And so first, first moon was easy. It was as easy as breathing. But, but I then started to go off course. And I then started to be driven by that rather than driven by the authentic need for contribution and the authentic need to do something meaningful that had got me to that point, mm. right? And so for me, the first million wasn't hard. The first million's not that hard. It's staying true to yourself and staying true to your mission after mm. you've made your first million where the real test comes in. And I do think that it's almost inevitable that when they start to create success and experience financial success, particularly if you've been working hard for 5, 10, 15 years to get there, you've got to indulge in it for a minute. And I mean, that's, I had a lot of mentors say to me early on that that's inevitable. And I thought, always thought to myself, no, 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 that, that won't happen to me. But then it did. <laughs> and so the first million was easy. Staying true to form after that was where I tripped. Um, and shortly after that, um, fortunately, course corrected to a point where I learned that true success is about what is your inner state of being, what is true for you at a human level, what is the guidance of your soul telling you, and how do you live a life that's representative of that, which is what I was doing when I made my first movie. Mm. It's just what I forgot for five minutes after that. Mm. Are there any uh, – that's a good answer, by the way, very thought-provoking too – are there any um, daily habits, daily rituals that you engage in to keep yourself focused, energized, and full of life, really, to go out and do what you're meant to be doing on a daily basis? My core rituals, the first one is meditation. You know, I, I struggled with meditation for many, many years. A, a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, high performers have very busy minds. Yep. And so we kind of get to thinking that, Meditation is not a work for us, and, and a lot of times you can't quiet down your mind. And after five years, I found something called Vedic meditation, which is essentially where you meditate with a mantra. Mm. And a mantra is a sound or a word that has no meaning, that stills the mind and steals the mind. And so, um, is a generic mantra that a lot of people are familiar with. And when I started to do Vedic meditation with a mantra, uh, I found that it was incredibly effective. And rather than thinking stuff nonstop, whenever you start to think something, just come back to the mantra. And you start to think something else, just come back to, your, to the mantra. And so it gave me something to focus my big mind on, making meditation effective for the first time ever after attempting it for five years. And so that, that truly was a turning point in my entire life because uh, – you know, I don't believe in silver bullets, but if there was one, it would be meditation. Mm. If you meditate regularly, two times, 20 minutes a day, you will sleep better. You will think better. You will be more compassionate. You'll be more joyful. You'll be more creative. You'll be a lot less stressed. You'll have a lot less angst. You'll have a lot less anger. Uh, you'll have a lot less grr, right? It, it, it's an incredibly effective practice at optimizing self mm. right and so the first ritual for me is meditation the second is exercise you know you have to take care of your body um 
the whole body is a mind. The whole body is a brain. A lot of people live their life as if your, your brain is in your head and your body is just this thing you lug around after after your brain. And it's just not it's not a true representation of who we are or how we're truly wired underneath it all. So exercise is incredibly important. The third one is sleep. You have to sleep. You have to, you know, I wear this aura ring, for example, aura being O-U-R-A. Uh, and this monitors my sleep, but not monitors my activity. It tells me how well I'm sleeping. Sleep is incredibly important. And the fourth one is nutrition. Um, just ensuring that you are fueling your body with the right fuel sources um, to have energy and to have optimized um, an optimized sense of vitality about how you're going about things. Mm, mm, that's good. I, I find that most entrepreneurs that do have busy minds they always struggle at first with meditation, but they never, it's hard to sort of create balance within a lifestyle that's always constantly on the go, repetitive most of the time. So you've got to try and create this balance. And I think creating balance for any entrepreneur is a challenge within their own life, not just within their business, but within them personally. So I'm curious to know as well that inspiration, where do you, find inspiration to create this content and to help others? Mariah. (laughs) 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 I guarantee you she's going to clip that up as a micro meter and it's going to travel through every social media. (laughs) I approve. What inspires you to make content? Mariah, end of it. (laughs) For those that are listening, Mariah is my uh, community uh, engagement manager. She handles all of our content and all of our community manager, uh, all of our community management, and you're sitting next to me and is an absolute weapon. What inspires me, man? Um, a couple of things. Uh, I go in search of inspiration by looking at individuals that have made an impact on the world. And so whether that's Einstein, who obviously was a physicist who changed the way we look at the universe about 100 years ago, whether it's Michelangelo, who's a sculptor, painter, uh, who painted the roof of the Sistine Chapel 500 years ago, whether it's Oprah Winfrey, who's disseminated light into lounge rooms around the world for the last 30 years, whether it's J.K. Rowling, who's the uh, author of Harry Potter, who's attributed with doing more for childhood literacy than any other person in history. Mm. Um, I, I get inspired by uh, observing and learning from these people. I find that incredibly inspiring. Mm. The second component of that answer is you can find inspiration everywhere, right? And so one of the things we'll do after this podcast is we'll think about the questions that you've asked me today, Jared, and we'll go, that was a really good question. What what do I actually think of that? And then I'll journal an answer to that question, and it might give rise to two or three more questions. Then I'll journal answers to that question. And so, you know, you, you can look through a magazine, and like most magazines are trashy and shallow and empty. But, but they but don't write them off just because they don't suit your personal taste. Look yeah. through a magazine, look at the headlines and go, how does that relate to me and my industry? How could I use that to formulate content ideas? And so whether it's listening to this podcast, listening to the questions that Jared is asking, whether it's listening to the podcast, listening to the answers that I'm giving, whether it's reading the magazine, reading the newspaper, looking out the window, looking around the room you're sitting, inspiration is absolutely everywhere. And if you train yourself to look for it, you will train yourself uh, to find it. Mm. Mm, definitely. I've I've been I've got a couple more questions for you, Jack, if you don't mind. But this one is basically you saw your parents run a non for profit organization and help change many, many lives 
over the course of them running it. And I'm curious to know what was one lesson that your mother or father taught you growing up that you still hold dear to you today and you're able to teach other people? Yeah, I mean, I feel probably like most people, I owe so much of who I am to my parents. I was like, in, in hindsight, particularly having the perspective I do today, I just uh, understand, uh, hopefully to a good enough degree, just how fortunate I was to have such incredible parents that loved me and loved me uh, so much and uh, such huge advocates and drivers of my happiness and success. You know, not everybody has parents that want them to succeed. Mm. And if you've always had parents that love you, I mean, just even that concept of having parents that don't want you to probably sounds foreign, but... It's, it's, it's the truth and the way of life for so many people. And so just having that, I mean, and my parents are just extraordinary human beings with so much intelligence and wisdom and experience. And, and you know, I think I think for my parents, passing all of that down to, to me and my two brothers was uh, probably the core focal point of their life. Right? So not only had incredibly exceptional human beings that loved us a lot, but invested a lot of time and guidance and teachings into us and so man like if 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 you are somebody that's planet earth right now that has had that and let's say everything else in your world isn't going the way you want it to just be incredibly beautiful first you're living life as a human being but secondly you grew up in that environment mm. i mean that's one of the it's probably the most fortunate position that one can be in mm. And so that's incredibly important. I mean, one core, I mean, so I say all of that to say that there's just so many lessons that my parents have passed. Yeah. One core one that I still remember is I still remember that I was, I was like six or seven years old, just kicking the body with dad in our front yard. Mm. And I can't even, ah, oh, you know what happened? Man, I haven't thought about this for a while. I haven't thought about why this conversation arose for a while. He kicked me the footy and I, and I marked it with one hand. And mm. we're Carlton supporters. And so anyone that's been a Carlton supporter for a while might remember Stephen Kernahan. And so Stephen Kernahan used to take marks a lot with one hand. And uh, and I said to him, oh, look, Dad, you know, I, I took a mark with one hand, I'm Stephen Kernahan. And he said, you could be the next Stephen Kernahan if you like. I said, what do you mean? And he said, anything you can imagine you can do, mm. the only things you can't imagine are the only things that you can't do. Wow. And, and I, that... The sentence where we were, the footy I was holding, you know, this is like almost 30 years ago. I still remember it vividly. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's probably become evident over the last 30 years just how much I, I have adopted and embodied mm. that principle that, you know, my father said to me in the front yard 30 years mm. Wow, that's a powerful truth. <laughs> He's to blame. He's, he's, <laughs> he's to blame for getting my brain thinking right now too. My goodness, that's yeah. My brain is always going a million miles an hour too. So you, you just you just challenged me. Okay, so a uh, couple more questions for you, Jack, if you don't mind. So uh, three bits of advice that you could give to someone, a young person wanting to start out in in entrepreneurship or business. Uh, they're struggling in business or they're needing a boost in business. Yeah, and so there's there's two things to this. You need to explore two things. 
right? You need to explore your inner world and you need to explore your outer world. If you're somebody that's starting your career or starting a new business or struggling in business and if you're anybody that's thinking, where do I go from here? Mm. You need to explore two things. The first is inner world and the second is outer world, right? And so inner world is what interests you, Mm. what brings you joy, what lights you up. Disregard everything you've ever been told and connect to your own inner truth about what brings you joy. Mm. And do that exploration without judgment. Don't think to yourself, hmm, I really love knitting. And then, oh, no, my career advisor in high school never told me that knitting was a career, so I'm going to disregard that. And you know what? I think I'll go and become an accountant. Like that's what most people do. And, and it's really foolish because we try and almost mold our inner world to fit into a career box that a careers advisor once told us was possible. Mm. And so disregard everything you've ever been told and explore your inner world. Do that through journaling. Do that through conversation. Do that through reflection. Do that through time in nature. Mm. The second thing you need to explore is the outer world. And so you want to go in search of different experiences. You want to taste different things. You want to learn through experience, not through assumption. And by assumption, I mean, uh, I wouldn't assume if you're starting out a business at the age of 20 or you're going to, going to build your next business at the age of 35, I wouldn't assume that you're going to love a field without actually ex- experiencing it first. Mm. And so exploring the outer world, it doesn't just mean that in a commercial sense either. I mean, travel. I mean, get to know different people. I mean, explore the world with different partners. I mean, have different jobs, work for different companies, have different mentors, try and experience as many industries as you can. And through a a detailed and rigorous exploration of the outer world and an ongoing internal search of your inner world, if you can marry where both of those things connect, then again, you'll be in the top 0.1% of people that can truly do something substantial and truly change the world. Mm -hmm. That's great. I appreciate that. And my last question is, it's more of a fun question that it, it might be a bit hard, but we'll see. What is your favorite film, your favorite actor, and the last movie that you watched? Very good question. I like that question. So my favorite film, I've got many of them. I'm always so challenged by this question, but if I was to pick one, it would be The, the Imitation Game. Ah, uh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you've seen it? Yeah, I love that movie. Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, man. Yeah, Such exactly. Yeah. The reason why I love that so much is because he's a guy who's, you know, uh, he's sort of in the prime of his career between what would have been 1935 and 1946, 47, when the end of the world occurred. Mm. Uh, he's an incredibly effective computer scientist. This was a world before computers existed. When And so uh, the, the character's name, uh, well, the character's name based on true story is Alan Turing, yeah. right? And so when computers started to form, they're actually called Turing machines. Uh, just because of how how much advancement this guy brought to technology back in the day. And so single-handedly, he turned the tide of the war. What we've got to understand is that the Allies, in World War II, the Allies, we were not winning. We were very close to being a Nazi-ruled planet. Mm. And if that happened, it's difficult to think of how we may have overthrown that stranglehold that the Nazis would have had on the planet. Like, like it, and. I encourage anybody that's listening to this, truly think about that. Just imagine if the Nazis won the World War II in 1945. 
firstly, none of us would be born. Mm. But let's say you were born as a different human. You're like like Australia right now, if you're listening to this in Australia, it would be under Nazi rule, yeah. right? And so if you were blonde with blue eyes, you'd probably be in the military. And if you weren't, God knows what would happen to you. And like like that would be the existence on planet Earth. Now, Alan Turing single-handedly, obviously with 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 a huge contribution from an amazing team, changed the course of World War II uh, and changed the tide to a point where we were actually able to win. Now, because what he was doing was um, a military operation, the information is classified for fifty years before they can release it, and so. You know, they estimated Turing's impact on the war to be, they reckon he saved about 18 million people's lives. And so I reckon he's probably, he's definitely one of, if not the most influential human being that ever lived. Mm. However, because it was a military operation, no one knew his name in in, in this context, at least, for 50 years, right? The other thing, he was homosexual. Mm. And this was a period of time where, uh, that was actually illegal, mm. right? Which again is uh, it sort of makes you shake your head in disgust at the lack of evolution and awareness that we as human beings had back then. And so they ended up, uh, you know, essentially chemically castrating Alan to a point where he was absolutely depressed and ended up taking his own life. And so there's just so many messages around in that movie that are so powerful. It's to me, it speaks to the power and the the, the influence that one person can have. Mm. It speaks to the importance of doing the work even in the absence of recognition for 50 years in, in the case of Turing. Uh, it speaks to the importance of brilliant, exceptional people come in all shapes, sizes, colours, races, sexualities, and all of that shit is completely irrelevant when thinking about and determining the quality of a human being. Mm. And so there's just so much meaning in that film. Like I literally walked out, it changed me forever. It inspired my second book, which is a book called Unwritten, Mm. uh, which was a book, you know, it sent me on a fucking mission to study the people that changed the course of history forever. And and the imitation game was was the movie that actually catalyzed that for me. Mm. And so my favorite movie is Imitation Game. Uh, actor would be uh, there's a few uh, Joaquin Phoenix really like Joaquin oh, he's yes. amazing like 49 he's, he's just incredible Johnny Depp Denzel Washington love Kira he loved Julia Stiles you know uh, Jenny I hate about you she's fucking gangster and hot lover uh, <laughs> yep and the, la- and the last <laughs> Ryan just did like he's like I'm gonna watch that and the last film I watched was Ocean's 13. So I went oh, nice. to Ocean. Yeah, during ISO, I did Ocean's 11, Ocean's 12, and then I got out of sequence. I did Ocean's 8 and came back to Ocean's 13. Nice. Um, yeah, I love those movies. Well, I feel like that is a, a great way to sort of end our conversation on a high note. Go and watch all those movies, everyone that you, uh, that you mentioned. And thank you so much, Jack, for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Your, your, your story was inspiring to me. And I know a lot of people are going to get so much value from it. So thank you so much for coming on the Story Box. Awesome, Joe. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. I don't like this part because it means that sadly, we have come to an end of yet another incredible story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. 
If you'd like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on any podcast platform. It's that easy. If you did get something from our guest today, please share it around to a friend or family member that you think could benefit from hearing this powerful story. And before you go, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will only take 30 seconds and it'll go towards reaching more people. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one. Your support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 